0: Hey, um, we're in the Lord's Prayer. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, we'll get you a Bible. Otherwise, turn to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, Lord's Prayer. Here's the thing, here's been our goal for this prayer, is this is, uh, for most of us, kind of a ceremonial prayer. It's the kind of thing you say at the mayor's prayer breakfast, or, you know, I think I mentioned last week that I cross-stitched this for my mother-in-law, she still has it hanging. You know, it's the perfect kind of prayer to put up on a wall cross-stitched, right? And uh, as we talk about it that way, the big question is, is there any relevance to this prayer in our lives today? And the reality is, the prayer is an amazing prayer, and if you can start looking sort of below the surface of it, or maybe through the expectations that we come to it with, you start to understand, this prayer is not only powerful, this prayer is so extremely relevant to our life. So again, turn to uh, Matthew chapter 6. And uh, let's, let's read this. I'll tell you what, let me read it because I want to start it off, make a comment, and then we'll finish it off. Uh, it's going to come up on the screen right. Huh? That usually works. Is our screen down? There we are. All right. So here we go. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. This is in a little sermon called the Sermon on the... Mount, okay, so you guys know this, and Jesus at one point is asked, how do you pray? And he said, okay, let me tell you how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we talked about hallowed be your name last week, and we mentioned hallowed be your name. Really, what does that mean? That totally does not seem relevant to our lives. But really, it is just a statement of God says, uh, my name is to be holy. My name is to be lifted up. My name is to impress. My name is to be treated with respect. And while we might look at that and say, okay, well, God, do that then. Make your name hallowed. You know, that's your thing. Make sure that people respect your name. And really what God does is he turns it back on us and he says, no, 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 no. I already do everything I need to do to make my name respected. The problem is not here. The problem is with you or the the challenge is with you. Will you make my name hallowed? Will you make my name holy? Will you make it something that's respectable? And that people look at it, and they're impressed with it. Will you do that work? And remember last week, we talked about kind of two parts. One, being really proud of the fact, if you are a Christ follower, that you are a Christ follower. That you stand for his name. That you're, you're not one of, sort of an undercover Christian. It's sort of like, well, it's just between God and me. And, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you're If you're a follower of mine, I want you to be proud of it. I want you to to display that, to let people know, not be obnoxious, but certainly to be proud of it. And then the second part of that is if we are going to stand for Jesus' name and be recognized as somebody that follows Jesus, make sure that you're aware that people are looking at you and sizing up God based on you, how you live, how you talk, how you think, how you treat people. It's real important. So we looked at that last week, and incidentally, I asked you to hold me accountable if you were here last week, remember? Because uh, I, uh, I went out uh, yesterday and played basketball with the guys again. Yes, I did. Uh, yeah. And it was, it was so just dang ugly that I was, I was cursing you. The whole time I was out there, I was saying, it's because of them that I'm out here. Uh, no, just I played really badly. But I do feel like uh, I stood for his name and that was a good thing. And I'm really honest when I said yesterday morning when I got up, there was only one reason that I came. And it was because I had to report back to you. So thank you for holding me accountable. That was a good thing. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Now we're going to look at the next phrase. And this again is a phrase that uh, very easily sort of pushes us away. And we think, how could that be relevant to us? But uh, let's go ahead and we'll read the rest of it, starting with your kingdom. Why don't you read it with me? It says, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the phrase we're going to look at today is this idea of... uh, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And immediately we've got a problem, and that is the word kingdom. Because kingdom is not a phrase that we use in today's day and age. Uh, Kingdom is a term of the past, right? Uh, Unless you're watching the London Olympics, and you look at a queen... And you watch her you know, jump out of helicopters and do all kinds of groovy kinds of things. But even as you look at that, even as you look at London, and you might even think, hey, that's kind of charming. It's kind of quaint. It's so neat that they have the royalty. I mean, all of us know that the, the Queen of England has no real power in England. Uh, that power was passed off to the parliament a long, long time ago. She is a figurehead. She is somebody that sort of stands for the past, and gives England sort of this, this image of, you know, of, of royalty. And so there's nothing wrong with it. I think we all look at that, and we go, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. But none of us would think, wow, Queen of England, is there somebody with power right in that title? Most of us think, no, you know, it's sort of removed. It's sort of quaint. It's charming. No power in that name. No power in kings and queens and kingdoms those days are long gone. But I just need to point out, when Jesus was talking to that crowd uh, doing the Sermon on the Mount, they had a totally different view of kings and kingdoms. In fact, for them, uh, the idea of the king was something that touched them every single day of their existence. They thought about the fact That they were in a kingdom, that there was somebody, a king called the Caesar that lived a thousand miles away, but literally had impact in every part of their life, every single day. Uh, Every time they tried to figure out how they were going to come up with enough money to survive, they were reminded of the fact that 65% of their income went to taxes that this king imposed on them. Every time they took out a denarius, which was their coin, they would see on the front a picture of Caesar, the face of Caesar. When they turned it over, they would see uh, an image of Caesar sitting on a throne in robes that were meant to show that he was deity. Those were things that were just common occurrences. They were aware every time they looked at a Roman soldier that that Roman soldier could kill them basically for any reason at all if they chose to, and they would be supported by the king. The king had life and death impact on every person in Israel. And he had, uh, they literally believed, not only did he own their land, that he owned them, that he could do whatever he wanted. They were his subjects. And so when Jesus talks about a kingdom... There would have been absolutely no question in everybody's mind there, well, of course the king has power. From a human standpoint, there is no one more powerful than a king. And the fact that we're in a kingdom uh, impacts every part of our life. We can't do things, we uh, we can't move in certain directions without always taking into consideration how does that impact the kingdom? What will the king think? What will the kingdom think? What will the soldiers think? And so they understood that. But kingdom also did not just have a negative connotation. Now, in this time of Israel's history, they were oppressed by the Roman government. But they had had their day and age about 1,000 years before when they were the kingdom, when David sat on the throne, when Solomon sat on the throne. And really, it was in the mind of every Jew living in Israel at that time uh, how we long for the days when we, our kingdom will rule, when our kingdom will reign, when we'll have the power, when we'll be able to tell other people what to do. They literally were waiting for somebody that would come in, a Messiah that would come in and in a military and political way would make their kingdom the greatest. You see, the issue wasn't that they didn't want a kingdom and that they didn't want a king. They just wanted their own king. They wanted their own kingdom. So when Jesus says these words, they are laden with meaning. There are all kinds of things that people are thinking. And the thing that's interesting about this is that Jesus begins his ministry by talking about a kingdom that is coming. So turning your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And in Mark 1, what we get is the description of what Jesus is doing as he comes on the scene. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. And it says these words. After John, that's John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He says these words. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And here's what you need to understand about Jesus talking about the kingdom. If you sort of feel like, well, I don't really get that kingdom of God talk. Uh, You know, I'm not really into that kind of thing. I like the other teaching that Jesus did a lot more. The kingdom of God just sort of goes over my head. Here's the reality. The kingdom of God is the central theme of what Jesus talked about. To dismiss His talking about the kingdom of God is to basically dismiss uh, not only a big section of his teaching, but really the foundation for everything that he talks about. In other words, if you don't understand the kingdom of God, you have no clue what Jesus was teaching. You don't understand. All you're doing is you're taking bits and pieces of things you like that he said, things that you can quote and put up on your refrigerator, and they're kind of cool sayings. But the whole thing hangs together with this concept of the kingdom of God. In fact, he he uses the phrase 80 times in the gospel. It is by far the most common thing he talks about. In fact, the whole Sermon on the Mount, we always think, wow, what a cool sermon, what great ethical teaching. Uh, It is great ethical teaching, but you know what the, the theme of the Sermon on the Mount is? It is, here's life in the kingdom. Let me tell you what it means to live in the kingdom. Let me tell you what it looks like. Let me tell you how you will behave and how you will think and how you will talk if you're in the kingdom of God. You're all aware that Jesus talked in parables, um, and maybe you know you'll remember this. He almost starts every parable by saying, "The kingdom of God is like... dot dot dot," and then he talks about some word picture, explaining what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, it starts really small, grows and grows and grows, and becomes really big. Uh, the kingdom of God is like a child, and unless you have the heart of a child, you'll never come into the kingdom of God. You know, the kingdom of God is like a sower that went out and sowed seed, and most of the people rejected the seed. Most of the people did not come into the kingdom, didn't come into the invitation for the kingdom. Jesus was constantly talking about the kingdom. And here's what is amazing. If you were confused by that, I will tell you this, that the average person sitting, listening to his teaching, the people that were sitting on the hillside listening to the Sermon on the Mount were also basically clueless. They were totally confused about what Jesus meant when he talked about the kingdom of God. So here's what I want to do, okay? This this might be a little painful, um, but I want us to go back into history a little bit and look at what the kingdom of God had meant up to that point. And uh, for some of you, this is going to feel like, whoa, 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 whoa. And um, if, if that's you, in about 10 minutes, I'm hoping relevance will come your way, okay? I'm hoping you'll all of a sudden feel like, oh, okay, I understand why we do it. All right, so here's the deal. The first thing that a typical Jew living in Israel in the first century would have thought when you said kingdom of God is they would have thought about this idea of the Jews as reestablishing their kingdom and becoming a powerful kingdom in the world. It was a very nationalistic view. So let me um, show you a passage that sort of points this out. There's a lot of them in the Old Testament. But if you look at Zechariah chapter 14, and I'll save you the spurious turning there. We're going to bring it up on the screen. But I want you to, as we talk about the king, sort of see what are we talking about when we talk about the king in this phrase. So you're going to read this with me. You ready? Clear your throats. Good. All right. And let me just give you a clue. If you ever come to a word in the Old Testament that you don't, Know how to pronounce it. The key is to say it with confidence and to say it loudly because nobody else knows how to pronounce it either. It is confidence that is the key. All right, so I'm going to give you practice right now. You ready to go? All right, you can see some of the words. We're going to, I just want it to blast out of your mouth. Be bold. All right, here we go. The Lord will be the king over the whole earth. On that day there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. The whole land from to. Pretty good. All right. South of Jerusalem will become like that. You guys are awesome. All right. Here we go. But Jerusalem will be raised up high from the Benjamin Gate to the site of the first gate to the corner gate and from the tower of you guys are amazing to the royal wine presses and he will and will remain in its place and it will be inhabited never again Jerusalem will be secure. And you can see, as you read that, those are specific places in Jerusalem. This is a very spe- sp- uh, specific geographical statement about when the kingdom comes, Jerusalem is going to become the capital of the world, that this person named the Messiah is going to rule, that the temple is going to be reestablished, rebuilt, because at this point the temple had been taken down, it's gonna, and everyone in the world is going to worship Yahweh. He will be the God of the world, the one true God. And the Jewish people will rule over the whole world. It was very nationalistic. That's what their idea was. When Jesus says kingdom of God, it is the first thing they think of. When they identify him as the Messiah, they are thinking he's that guy. He's the military guy. He's the political guy. He's the guy that puts us in our place and puts everybody else in their place. That's what they're thinking. And so Jesus comes on very strong. And just to show how powerful and how entrenched this message was to the typical Jewish person, take the disciples. They have been with Jesus um, at the end of his ministry for three years. He has taught them about the kingdom of God and how it is not this image. It is not this. And he just over and over again. And he basically says, you are the ones that are going to carry and spread the kingdom of God. That's going to be your job. And he's taught them exhaustively about the kingdom of God and so he dies he rises again he spends 40 days with them again teaching them teaching them teaching them about the kingdom of God and how this is going to spread and it's not nationalistic and do you guys get it do you guys get it and so on the day that he's going to ascend into heaven on the day that he's going to leave the last thing he's just wrapping up his messages to them he's just gotten everything clear everybody's in their place everything's going to be great And one of the guys raises his hand and says, okay, Jesus, just just one question, just one question. Acts 1.6, go over to Acts 1.6. This is so great. You just wonder how the church ever started with these guys. Acts 1.6, he says this, says, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? I just imagine Jesus is like, really? Are you kidding me? Have you like listened to one thing I've said over the last three years about the kingdom of God? Oh my gosh. You know, he like went right into heaven after this. And you sort of get this idea of this really dramatic. I think he was just like fed up and he's like, I'm out of here. This is crazy. You guys still think this is the kingdom of God? Okay, kidding about that. I'm sure he, he had more patience than that. But you can see how far this is entrenched. And let me just say these words because, you know, you're sort of like, well, they were kind of foolish back then. How often are our prayers, do our prayers have to be with putting us into power, getting us into a place where our whole environment revolves the, around us, the way that we want, that we've got the power, we have the control, we have the say. God, if only you could make... Basically, me the king. If you could just get my ways to be my ways. Or how, as a Christian church, you know, this is convicting to me, as a church in America, that so much, we so quickly move to saying, hey, just give us the power. You know, let us elect our people. Let us pass all of our laws. Let us have the power in this place. Let let the kingdom run through us. Let us be the kings and queens of this place for a while. We'll straighten everything out. And it's interesting that in that day and age, God said to the Jews, that's not the way I'm going to spread my kingdom. Not going to do it through you that way. Not with you having the power and the control. Not going to do it that way. And I doubt he's going to do it that way with the Christian church of the United States. I'm not sure that he's saying, yeah, I need to give this church the power and the control so they get everything that they want. And they can make everybody else do what they say. I just don't think that's the way God works. I don't think that that's his plan, his agenda. So that was the first thing that people would have thought. They would have thought of a nationalistic kind of kingdom. What was interesting is during that time, uh, in in the time between the last Old Testament book being written around Zechariah's time and when Jesus came, the intertestamental period, a new thought was starting to come out on what the kingdom of God was. And it sort of had this nationalistic idea that the Jews were going to be prominent, But this was much more that God himself was going to come onto earth and everything was going to change. That he was going to restore his creation. That he was literally going to bring heaven onto earth and he was going to rule. And this was going to be a whole new day and age. Nobody would miss it. It would come in a surprising way. It would come with incredible power. People would not be able to stand against it. And God himself was going to rule. He was going to be the ruler and he was going to set all things right. And it's interesting because Jesus does talk about that. Jesus has two ways that he expresses the kingdom of God. And one of the ways is to say, a day is coming in the future when God will be the king and he will come in power and everything will be made right. And so if you look, for instance, in Revelation, when you look at the end of time, you get this statement And this comes right out of New Testament teaching. And Jesus would be the first to say amen to it. In Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And there is no question that part of the kingdom of God coming to earth, or at least one aspect of it, is at the end of time, in the time to come, is the way that it said, uh, back then, in the time to come, Jesus will come and he will bring God's kingdom in power, and no one will stand against it, and God himself will reign. That is absolutely part of the kingdom of God. And that has God's church, for the most part, just being passive and watching that happen at that point. It will be God, it will be Jesus. He's the one that's going to do it, and we're going to watch him do it. And we're going to then participate with him. But he's going to be the main player. But that was not the primary thing Jesus talked about when he talked about the kingdom of God. It was not God's coming at the end of the time. I saw a bumper sticker one time that said, Jesus is coming again, dot, dot, dot. And boy, is he ticked. And sort of that idea that that the next time we see Jesus face to face, it's going to be a whole different picture. Well, that is true. And that's coming down the line. And we don't know when that will be, but the day will come. But there's another way that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, sort of a whole new view. Uh, One of the times, he was talking to some Pharisees, and in Luke 17, verse 20, Luke 17, 20, I think we've got it up here. Do we have, yeah. It says this, Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So the Pharisees are thinking nationalistically, and they're saying, hey, when's the kingdom of God coming? What are the signs that it's going to be ushered in? When are we going to know that it's on its way? And Jesus says, you're looking at the wrong things. Because actually the kingdom of God has already come. The kingdom of God has already been introduced And he says, it's in your midst. You know who he's pointing to when Jesus says, hey, it's right in your midst. He's pointing to himself. He's saying, the kingdom of God comes with me. Now, here's what's so totally interesting to me about this. Could Jesus have brought the kingdom of God if he had chosen to, if he had wanted to do it this way? Could he have never left the safety of heaven? Could he have just commanded the kingdom of God to come? Could it have just been that he he just ends the end of time and he just says, okay, enough. Everybody out of the pool. We're done. This is how it's going to end, and I'm going to end it right now. This is what I'm talking about. He absolutely could have. And yet he's standing before them as a mortal, as somebody that has already suffered, as somebody who is poor, as somebody who's going to suffer unbearably in the future as a servant, somebody that has tremendous courage, somebody that has come down to our level, somebody who says, I'm not going to flex my power or bring my kingdom just through forcing it upon you, but I'm going to offer it to you, and I'm going to serve you in such a way that you'll be compelled to join it. And Jesus says, the kingdom is here. It's just coming differently than you thought it would. I'm offering it right now. Applications are open for the kingdom of God. It comes through me. It comes in me. It's the most amazing thing, really, when you think about it, because he didn't need to go down that road. If anybody had the right to force his will, Jesus had the right to do it. And he doesn't do it that way. So the question is, what exactly is the kingdom then? What is it that Jesus is bringing? And our little uh, section of scripture that we're looking at today actually tells us what that is. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom is anywhere. God's will is being done. In other words, your kingdom come, your will be done, are two ways of saying the same thing. God's kingdom is any place his will is being done. Now let me point out something that's interesting and something we get confused on. In the Greek, there are two words for will. And this confuses us. So one word is the Greek word uh, boule. Say boule with me. Bule. Okay, you spoke your Greek today. Bule. Bule is the idea of God's unchanging, uncompromising plan that he will carry out regardless of anything else that happens. It's the idea that God is sovereign and he'll do anything he wants. That is bule. So when God created the heavens and the earth, it was God's bule. Okay, we're going to play a little game here. So now you know the answer. When God rescued the Jews from Egypt, it was God's boule. When God took them through the Red Sea, it was God's boule, right? When Jesus came to earth, that was God's boule. Born by a virgin was God's boule, right? When Jesus died on the cross, scripture's clear, that was God's boule. When the church started, that was God's boule. When Jesus comes again, it will be God's Bule, it is His will. There's nothing we can do to stand against it. He's going to make it happen. We're passive; He's active. That's the way that works. There is another word for will in the New Testament. It's used a lot. It's thalema. Okay, so on three, let's say thalema. One, two, three. Thalema. Thalema is a different idea of God's will. When God comes to us and He says, "Listen," when a temptation hits you. I want you not to stand and fight it. I want you to run away from it because that is God's Thalema. okay? We're going to play the same game, okay? So here we go, Thalema. all right? When somebody opposes you and stands against you, I want you to win them with your actions because that's God's Thalema. okay? When you have an obnoxious neighbor that plays their music at 3 in the morning and just makes you miserable and you want to go over and throttle their neck, but instead you go over and you try to become friends with him, that's because that's God's Thalema. You see, God's thalema is his wishes and his desires. He doesn't make it happen, but he just tells you, that's the way things work in my kingdom. I invite you to behave that way. I invite you to think that way. I invite you to talk that way. That's my Thalema. I'm not going to make you do it, but... I want my will to be done, so I'm going to offer this to you, and I will bless you. If you do it, I will bless you, but I won't make you. There will be a day in the future where I make people, but that day is not here yet. So here's the question of the morning. Which Greek word is being used here when it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Which one do you think? It's Thalema. It's thelema, And this changes the prayer for us. Because if it's, if it's Bula, if that's what it is, then all we're saying is, God, we're going to stand back. You do your thing. Bring your will onto earth. And we'll cheer and celebrate and be part of the party. But that's your job. Because that's in your plan. Nobody can stand against your will. You make it happen. But that's not the word here. The word is Thalema. And what God's saying is, I'm doing my part of bringing the kingdom. I need you to do your part. you got a part to play. In fact, in this season, you've got the most important part to play. As I work in you, as my spirit works in you, as you're transformed and you become a different kind of person, you will bring my kingdom to earth. This prayer is not a prayer for God to do something. It's a prayer for God to do something through us. This is up to us. This is a prayer for us, about us bringing God's kingdom to earth. So let me just run through some of the areas in our life where we want God's kingdom to reign, right? We want God's kingdom to reign in our lives, right? I mean, we want to be the kind of person that operates in God's kingdom. We want intimacy with Jesus. We want to have a relationship that's vibrant and dynamic, right? Right? We want to have relationships with a few other people that are going to support us and hold us accountable and be people that we walk through life with. And that that gives us sort of a power and a strength and it's the flesh and blood of God's power that is in our life. We need that, right? We need to have times where we can stand in a way when temptation hits and instead of folding to the temptation and thinking, well, I'll get it straight the next time, but this time I'm just going to succumb is that we say, no, no, no. There's not, there's not the next time. This is the time. And through God's strength, I'm going to handle this the right way this time. And when we're being pressed to compromise something that we've said, and it would be so easy just to go back on our word or just to fudge the truth, and instead we say, you know, I don't know. I kind of want God's kingdom to come in my life. So I'm going to stand with integrity on this one. And it's going to cause a little grief. But I think... I just think that that's what it means to bring God's kingdom in this situation. You know, personally, God's giving you the Holy Spirit. You have what it takes for his kingdom to work in you. For us to passively sit by and just say, listen, God, you do it all. I give you permission. You change my life any way you want. He'll say, no, 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 no. You're thinking, boule, And I'm talking about philema." This is up to you. I've given you what you need. It's time for you to step up. It's time for you to do it the right way. I've given you the spirit. You've got the power. This is a question of whether you're going to lean in or not lean in. We talk about our families, and we want God's presence in our family, and we'd love to have it said of our families. God's kingdom has come to our family. And so God says, great. Are you treating each other with mutual respect, respect, Is there love that flows in your family? Is there a relationship between the parents and kids where there's open communication and there's a way of dealing with issues and it's not parents powering up or kids sassing off, but that there's a way that we're working together on this? I think Jesus says, it's fine to pray to me that I'll come in and that I'll intervene and make things happen, you know, and I'm glad to do my part. But let me just tell you, you've got some control here and you've got some responsibility. If you want my kingdom in your family, then bring my kingdom to your family. Do the stuff that you can do. Figure out the situations you need to figure out. Have the date night with your spouse that you've put off for 10 years. You know, do the things that make your family A place where the kingdom of God, where God's will is being done. I've taught you how to do it. I've given you my spirit so you have the power to do it. Come on. This isn't just up to me. You can do something. When you think about work or business, and this has been on my mind this week, I'm facing a challenge at work, and and you're sort of thinking, I thought you were a pastor. I thought there were no challenges at work. I thought everything's bliss and peace, and you're all Christians working together in your ivory towers. And while that is all true, um, I've, I've been stressing out about some stuff that's going on at work. And I was thinking about this. And so yesterday morning, I got up, and I pulled out my journal. And God said, stop praying for me to do something. You do something. Don't you think you have some control in this situation? Don't you think there's some matters that you can... Don't you think this might be a hard issue on you? Don't you think you need to step up in some ways? I'm tired of you coming to me. And being all passive and just saying, God, do your thing. Bule, boule, boule, And he goes, no. Thalema, man. Come on. Get it going. Get it going. I've given you stuff. to, do. You can figure out some of this stuff. I'm not going to bail on you, but there's a partnership here, and you've got a part to play. And I I've, I've, was reminded of that yesterday. Julie and I went to the jacuzzi after, and I said, Thalema. And I had to tell her, you know, I feel like I've got a part i got to play in this. Here's the reality, even when we talk about our city. And I love that Caleb vision casts for us always about our city. And I love him being a pastor that thinks so much about that. Huntington Beach or Fountain Valley or Westminster, or Long Beach, wherever you live, Seal Beach, anywhere around here, Garden Grove. We pray for God's kingdom to come to our city. And we we so often do it in such a passive way. God, I just wish that Huntington Beach, people in Huntington Beach would come to know you and that our city would change and things would be better. And I think God's saying, Thalema, man. Can't you do some of this? Isn't there stuff you can do about this? Really? I mean, you're the ones that have neighbors that need to be reached. You're the ones who work with people. Hey, You know, you're the ones that go to these beaches. Why don't you do something about this stuff? You're the ones that elect the people that are officials. Do something. You can do something. You can change your city. I've given you power to do it. My Holy Spirit still works. I'll do some parts, but I need you to do your part. I need you to step up. Imagine what our city would be like. Imagine Huntington Beach if God's kingdom came to Huntington Beach. Imagine what that would look like. We'd have city officials that serve us instead of us serving them. You know, we'd have schools where the kids respect the teachers and the teachers love the kids and serve the kids. You know, even when you think about certain things, you know, our hospitals, things, our hospitals would start to empty out as people start treating their bodies in the way that God would say, as stress levels reduce you know, we'd start closing down hospitals because there wouldn't be so much sickness. We would not need to have all concerns about seeing our kids every time they step out the door and being concerned about them because there would be a sense of, hey, this is a city where our kids are safe. You know, we don't have to worry about our kids so much because there's not people out there that are trying to hurt our kids all the time. And we think about, you know, even things like Not so many security systems because there's not so much crime. You know, even dogs aren't chasing cats. Because there are no cats, right? I mean, if this is a... (laughs) Really? I mean, is that really... Isn't that true? Isn't that true? (laughs) So what about it, Huntington Beach? What about it? Are we going to bring God's kingdom to our personal life? to our families, to our businesses and schools and to our city. Because God said, I've given you what you need. I will work with you on this. But don't for a second back out and think I'm going to do it without you, because I'm not. It's with you. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And I'd just like to pray for us a minute along these lines. Jesus, what a remarkable prayer. And as we tear it apart, we start to understand just how incredibly powerful it is. This is very convicting to me. And I say it with strength to our church, but in no way do I remove myself from from the challenge of this call to bring your kingdom to our personal lives. And so I pray right now. I pray as we think about our personal lives, where is it that you want your kingdom to come? Where is it that we've sort of dug in our heels? And we know that we're not operating in your kingdom. And Jesus, are you telling us right now, stop that. Now it's time. Open yourself up. Step into my kingdom in this area. I pray that you'd give us the courage to do it. I pray with our families as we're sitting here Maybe there was some conviction just about our families not being a place where the kingdom of God is really being lived out at all. And I pray that you would give us courage and strength and honesty and humility to address those issues. I pray for it in our businesses and in our schools where we touch those places. And Jesus, we pray for it in our city. You have given us what we need to have an impact in this city. You've given us opportunity and gifts and strengths and resources. You've called us to it and you've given us your spirit. Allow us to step up and to change this place that we live and to bring your kingdom. Not force your kingdom, but to bring it in service and love. And we will give you all the glory for that. And it's in Jesus' name we